Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Gail Roy, CEO of the IAB in Australia. Welcome, Gail. Hi, Darren. Thanks for having me. Well, look, uh, you know, thanks for making time because I can imagine, like many people in the industry, 2020 was one of those challenging years. And I'm imagining it's straight back into it in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. So 2020, I think it taught me a lot of things, but um, amount of vo- the volume that we could get through in terms of work just went up, you know, oh, I think fourfold, the amount of work that we went through. Um, and it was exhausting for everyone in the industry, I think, the whole year. Uh, but I think we got a bit of a rhythm around it and uh, a little bit of break over Christmas and now, and now straight back into it. You know, it, it's also interesting because, you know, 2020 with the pandemic and having to work from home, the huge amounts of uncertainty for the IAB in Australia, I imagine there was also the whole challenges of the government's focus on this category and all of that uncertainty and, and uh, you know, yeah, carry on. absolutely. Lots of scrutiny and the government didn't really give um, the industry a break in many, not just media, but a lot of different areas. Um their, their work went ahead as it needed to. Um, so we had to do a lot of work with the ACCC um, on the ad services uh, inquiry, a lot of scrutiny over the new privacy review, um, and then the, glo- the amount of global scrutiny from different governments and reports coming out. And I think I've um, spent more time reading um, long, detailed government reports in, in language that's not particularly easy to read over the last year than I ever have in my whole life. So... Yeah, it's been, it's been a busy one. Let's just uh, step back a minute for people that have, may have heard of the IAB or have, may not have heard of it at all. What is the IAB? You know, what's the role and why does it exist? Yeah, so we're the, the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Um, so it's a not-for-profit um, industry membership association um, set up about 21 years ago, actually, in the US. So... Um, our brand is licensed in different markets, which means we have the lovely, uh, we're in the lovely position where we can take the best from what's happening around, around the world, but also tailor our offerings and support for the industry to suit each market. Um, so, so in this market, originally the IAB was probably what you call a, a boys club of large publishers, large digital publishers in the early days when digital was really about um, encouraging investment. Uh, that's not so much the job that we need to do anymore. Digital investment sort of proven and, um, and quite healthy. Um, so we're now a broader association of about 140 different members across publishing, ad tech, agencies, marketers. And our role is, I guess there's a lot of governance from a standards, guidelines, um, particularly a lot of work in the ad tech uh, and programmatic side of things, um, making sure things operate as efficiently and effectively as possible um, and I know that's you know it's hard in a in a world in media where things are changing constantly and everyone wants to make new things all the time well it's also um, you know even the most cursory observation of that category of digital media it is incredibly complex I mean you know famously the Lumascape 
uh, shows 5,000 plus you know, players in this area. It must be incredibly challenging because your membership also in many ways reflects that, doesn't it? Yeah, it's broad. And I guess there's, there's sort of that balance between diversity and too much, too much noise. And I think the, the industry constantly corrects itself, but then as new things evolve, um, new channels, you know, digital out of home is huge at the moment, audio, new pieces of tech, new um, new initiatives come through. So you've got that constant, I guess, um, creating more efficiency and then the innovators and the entrepreneurs creating new things. So we're there to try and, I guess, have some consistency and some assistant for agencies and marketers in particular to know that someone's really looking at how everything operates. And as you said uh, earlier, setting some standards and setting some guidelines, I guess, so that uh, it helps people navigate this. Yeah, and, and over the years, I guess the the role and the types of standards and guidelines have become more applicable for people across the market. So early on, there'd be very standard specs for banners and buttons that publishers would need to know and, and the creative agency. But when we're looking at things like cookies and safari tracking and, you know, identifiers across, across the web and attribution, that's something that all sides need to know about and have a, have a clear understanding. And also podcasting. Um, I only became aware uh, in the last couple of months that the IAB has set some uh, global listening uh, metrics to get some consistency of what actually represents, uh, you know, yeah. someone listening and engaging. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So we sort of had to define what a download is. So it's, you know, it's the same sort of work we've been doing for 20 years when, you know, we needed to know what a download of a banner was, viewability. So again, each time a new area evolves and marketers want to jump on board, which is awesome, but they also want a certain amount of understanding of, of how it all works. And if there happen to be cowboys in the industry, um, that they can go, okay, you're using these standards, um, give us the sort of reporting that we need to uh, feel comfortable with our investment. There is a, a sort of a limitation, isn't there? Because you're an association mm -hmm. which can make guidelines and publish those and, and promote them. But as you, you raise the issue of cowboys, there's always people that could choose to operate outside of that. So I guess it's really important to educate the marketplace about what the standards mean, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just um, things like brand safety, understanding block lists and um, how, you know, at the end of the day, it's often the agencies and marketers who have to make those, uh, put those parameters in terms of what they buy. Um, and we, we're there to try and, I guess, inform them as much as possible. Um, you know, people can buy dodgy fake watches if they want to or they can buy you know the real stuff so having that information in market and I guess you know uh, there's good and bad sides to this but the digital advertising market is more and more global um, so you know those standards going across different markets having consistency for advertisers um, with a little bit of a, a nuance and local flavour for each market as well. Yeah, I did find it interesting because when, and especially in Australia where the government has taken a real interest, that most governments are obviously for their market. You know, the Australian government is looking at the Australian market, the US government, the US, uh, the EU for Europe. And yet they're dealing with global media owners, whereas, and, and some of your members are not global. You know, you've got yep. media owners 
that are very much in the Australian market. And then you've got others like the, the major platforms, Google and Facebook mm-hmm. and the like, that are global. It must be quite interesting seeing all the different perspectives coming together because, you know, some are operating on a global basis and needing yeah. to uh, comply in various markets in different ways and others are very much homegrown. Yeah, it's 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 been tricky the last last few years, I think, for everyone sort of trying to understand where things are going and make sure they can plan for the future and, you know, there's really no way to really know what you're going to need in a few years. Um, and we've seen with GDPR, so... You know, people think that, okay, there's one consistent European standard for um, data protection, but then each country within Europe has their own, um, you know, data protection agency who interprets the law in a different way. So um, Darren has always lots and lots of work for for lawyers uh, and the rest of us have to scramble and make sure from a commercial point of view that the industry can support the development of content, services um, and, and keep keep the confidence up in market. Now, also in your membership is a lot of the media agencies or at least the holding companies. Mm. Yeah. So you've not only got the proprietors, uh, you've also got the agents or agencies yeah. that act on their behalf. Yeah. Where do the buyers come into this or do you see that as the buyers are the agency cause, because they're acting on behalf of the advertisers? Yeah, a little bit of both. So we do have some of the um, advertisers, particularly those who are in-house. So if we think about our strength, it's a lot on the technology and standards. So if someone is running their own trading desk in-house, they'll normally have a, a fairly good relationship with us. Uh, but day-to-day, it's the agencies who are often building the deep tech. Um, and the, we do a lot of work with marketers in a lighter, lighter way through conferences um, and then there's the AANA and ADMA who have sort of a, another type of relationship with marketers. But they are, and I hate the phrase leaning in, but they are getting more involved, understanding, uh, I guess, the technology. Things like the um, digital ad practices that we put out with the AANA and MFA help those types of, um, that type of understanding as well. And now on the agency side, we've got the IMAA, which is the independent media agencies that, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure that they're also playing in this space. Yeah, they're, they're, they're an interesting one. We work, um, we do briefings for them. You know, the, the IAB, I like to think, and maybe people differ, you know, we're a not-for-profit. The, the main thing for us is making sure there's confidence in markets. So, um, you know, I work with the MFA, NA, IMAA, every other acronym you can think of, CRA, OMA, um, just to make sure um, we're giving them the support, particularly from that from that ad tech and um, policy sort of guidelines and measurement point of view. So we're all mostly friends, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Could I, could I stretch that to frenemies on some issues yeah, and absolutely. friends on others? Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's a healthy healthy thing for the market, right? It must be fascinating, though, in your role as the uh, CEO because even on your board and in your membership, you have got people that uh, will often have uh, very differing motivations, you know, buy, sell, uh, you know, intermediaries of all different sorts. Uh while they may want to say, yes, we're here for the good of the industry, there's also um, financial, personal financial implications as well, isn't there? A- absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, we've got to always come back to our purpose and our, um, you know, why we're here to help grow the industry and try and take things back. 
we won't always agree with all our members. They won't always agree with us. So there's a lot of healthy debate and there's some areas that we'll just stay out of if people can't agree and it's not healthy to have constant debates that are going nowhere um, and we'll, we'll focus on more uh, productive areas. Mm. But, yeah, it's, it's um, for someone who loves politics and a bit of a voyeur, it's, it's my perfect job. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I think it's probably one of the most challenging jobs in the industry because it is at that nexus, isn't it? You've, you've got yeah. Yeah, different sides that you need to balance. Yeah, but uh, look, digital's like 65% of the market now. As you said, there's so many players. So in a way that's that's slightly liberating because we are a big industry rather than a few people just um, having a go at each other. Yeah. So just to pull back from sort of an industry and, and uh, an IAB, uh, IAB perspective to some of the personal challenges as a leader and manage, you know, because you've got... A, a small but very productive team there. Um, what were some of the challenges for you managing that during the pandemic last year? Yeah, well, I was actually, as everything broke, I was doing a uh, midlife crisis walk in WA because I'd turned 50 and I wanted my phone off for five days and then my team sort of subtly started sending me texts going, actually, we might need to know what we do. Um, so when I landed back in Sydney, I spent half a day in the office and then, then we shut down. But one of the really interesting things um, was, and, and you know, not necessarily just my team, but overall in the industry, was people were looking to leaders for more direction than they would normally. So I think we have a pretty um, interesting um, industry where people of all levels are willing to have a say, have a lot of freedom, want a lot of autonomy. And you suddenly had people who normally run their own show going, I actually want you just to say yes or no. Um, so I think the leaders had to step up and really be clear on what was happening, what they expected of their teams, um, and a little bit more black and white than we normally are. Um, so that so that was that was that was an interesting interesting development, and a, in a way, it forced you to make quick and clear decisions. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Because uh, there's a sort of paternal maternal part to that that we try to avoid because we want people to really step up and and make these decisions for themselves but in the face of such uncertainty you're right you know mm. sometimes it just needs someone to be able to articulate well this you know remind everyone this is what we need to achieve these are the constraints that we're going to operate in Let's try this. Yeah, that less less of a coaching role and more back to that sort of boss role. The the thing we focused on a lot too in that first month, um, as you'd remember, there was a lot of restructuring and redundancies, which feels like a long time ago now. Uh, but you know, our whole team just made sure we called as many members each day. The people who are losing their jobs supported them however we could. I think the one thing that was different last year, and the market's back, so we'll come to a happier story in, in a minute, but. People um, who were losing their jobs, you would normally, you know, the people who are great, you'd go, okay, I'll put you in contact with these 10 people, there's roles going. Um, but this time around it felt after, I guess, a couple of years of the ad market being down, a lot of restructuring, particularly traditional media companies, having conversations with good friends saying, do you actually want to stay in media and marketing? Mm. You know, would you like to think about other industries? Where can, when you, where can your skills where are they applicable? So there was there was some tough couple of months that um, was yeah it was still still good to you know almost give people permission 
mm. to say, you know, maybe it's time to transition to something that will give you more happiness or more fulfilment. Yeah, and, and look, at that time we also had e-commerce was booming, yeah. the whole direct-to-consumer market, so a lot of the skills our industry people have, which is marketing and data and understanding that consumer experience is particularly applicable um, for either the small direct-to-consumers or we had quite a lot of, and I won't name them, I'll call them daggy brands, so I won't name them, but but (laughs) traditional brands who hadn't quite moved into the digital world quick enough who really needed to um, jump on and and change the way that they dealt with customers quite quickly. Yeah, it was phenomenal, wasn't it, how quickly, especially retail brands, how quickly retail brands needed to and did move Mm. from things like having virtually no e-commerce presence to at least being able to pick, pay and collect. Suddenly, almost every retailer was offering it. So, you know, when the the, uh, necessity is there, it's amazing how quickly these uh, businesses can move, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, catalogs, all of it. It just it just had to change quite quickly, and it was it was it was it was actually a lovely thing to see. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, and different brands, you know, Bunnings and the brands that had a huge, um, I guess, surge in demand. You know, Bunnings is this really interesting brand that has you know media offerings and in store pick and collect and really innovative ways of of dealing with their customers. So would, as a team, hmm. how do you think, uh, what, what's what been the result of having worked through that together? You've um, come through the other side. We have, and we made a really big call with the support of the board in March and April to go, we're actually going to drop our paywall, we're going to make everything open for everyone, um, do the right, the right thing morally, which as a CEO who actually has to pay everyone at some point was a little bit nervous to go on the other side or... Uh, our members actually still going to, you know, come back and pay and support us. And uh, but luckily, I guess we we broadened our reach. We had weekly webinars, um, and memberships gone up, and, and all the people who, um, I guess, we helped through that period have come back in. So um, the team has, I guess, learnt that that marketing, um, you know, slogan around, you know, um, investing in your brand while the market's down, mm. uh, really does work. Yeah. And so that's obviously a achievement, you know, in the face of the adversity that uh, the industry was facing, you know, uh, you've built membership. What would you say are some of the other achievements that, you know, looking back on 2020, you would uh, have pride in? Um, I think working quicker. So just making sure, you know, I, I, you know, I know it's a cliche to say I'm a perfectionist. We would normally do events that would take six weeks to bring to market. Uh, we suddenly moved to weekly webinars. Obviously, you can't have the amount of you preparation. Know, preparation, and <laughs> you know, understanding the market was like, "Yep, that's 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 enough." So, so moving quicker, um, seeing the market, I guess, uh, support each other was was a huge lesson and, and something that we feel like we we had a big role in um, continuing to expand the channels that we were um, supporting. So, as digital keeps growing, we set up a a digital out of home uh, group, particularly focused on programmatic digital out of home. So, so making sure that while we're trying to keep you know everything running as per normal, we were still extending our offerings and meeting the the new needs of the market. Mm. And um, what would you say would be you know on your top three then? What were the top three achievements? Top three achievements, um, I guess, revenue growing, which yep. was was. Um, 
uh, amazing uh, being able to keep the whole team um, and I guess it's those multiple work, you know, being able to do those multiple flows of work, um, you know, having government work, having yeah. market, making sure that we're keeping everyone up to date with revenue reporting. That was a that was a big thing, everyone sort of not understanding what's happening next. And, you know, it might seem little, but it was really important to us, and I, and I think a lot of other companies I've spoken to have had the same thing, actually connecting more with overseas markets. Um, I think as everyone got used to web, uh, doing everything by video conference and, it's sort of wanting to, it's like, you know, that gossip, you know, how's it going over there? What's happening there? Um, so doing a lot more work with um, international. We've got 47 IABs around the world, so checking in what IAB Russia was up to. or um, So that's that's been really good, I think, for the team and our members more broadly. And as you said before, you know, the Australian government and their view and review of the marketplace must have made IAB Australia sort of the centre of interest for a lot of people because what has been happening here is uh, world-leading in yeah, some ways. Absolutely. I mean, the, the UK government were, you know, um, doing similar things. Um, US, you know, whether it's privacy or competition side of things, um, yes, and a million other markets looking at things in different ways. No, it's nice to uh, think of down under being on top for a change. Some, some of those things, yes. <laughs> Rather than just following what's happening in the rest of the world, you know, a bit of, a yeah, bit of leadership. Um, um, the, the, I've realised, I guess, over the last couple of years that um, government and public servants are no different to the rest of us and they all like to have their, their equivalent of a media first. So um, there's a lot of competition <laughs> between, between actual uh, bureaucrats to go bigger and bigger and better. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you mentioned earlier and I just want to pick up on is this building confidence in the supply chain because, you know, we have heard and, and stretching all the way back to 2014, 2015, where, you know, the um, uh, 2014 was where Mediacom uh, at the end of the year, it suddenly blew up about reporting, uh, which wasn't directly related necessarily to the digital media space, but it seemed to be the starting point of people talking about, you know, how accountable is this uh, ecosystem? I'll use the term yeah. ecosystem, but, you know, how accountable is it? Then the following year there was the, you know, in the US it blew up. Um, we've had all the ongoing issues around ad fraud. You know, it... There is, seems in many ways so many different fronts that you need to be educating, informing and addressing. What's the process? How do you go about building confidence when there seems to be so many issues to be addressed? Yeah, look, it's, it's tricky, I guess, having a, having a robust um, uh infrastructure for pro programmatic trading which is where a lot of the, a lot of the focus is making sure there's standards in place education um, but you're right like different issues crop up all the time it feels a bit whack-a-mole um, that's why we love when particularly the marketers get involved and understanding because if they're asking the questions and the right questions um, and putting I guess a little bit more you know direction in terms of what they want in terms of reporting, what sort of inventory they want to buy, um, how they want to assess it up front. It does help the whole system work work really well. And, um, you know, it's, it is frustrating at times, you know, when people buy really cheap stuff 
that they know is probably too good to be true and then there are problems. It's like, you know, I guess the responsibility on both sides. But um, education, continuing to work with all the tech companies, we have a, um, a sort of adjunct to the IAB in the US called IAB Tech Lab, which is a, another not-for-profit association, and they're just a whole bunch of super smart geeks who constantly try and build and you know, break things to make sure that things operate operate correctly. But it's a huge market, Darren, so it's going to attract people who want to do the wrong thing as any... And a valuable market. I yeah. mean, as you said, 60%, 65%, we're talking billions of dollars. One day it'll be trillions of dollars. You know? Yeah, the thing that frustrates me, though, sometimes that turns into a media doesn't work or it's not effective or... Um, so, you know, coming back to that work, we do a lot of work on ad effectiveness, you know, when you buy what you want to buy in the right way, you know, as for a billion years, you know, marketing messages still have a return. So it's just having those controls around it. It's not going, you know, as a marketer, oh, this is all too hard, it's all too messy, I'm going to step away um, because every marketer needs to reach new, new customers, get new messages out. So um, it, it's just that control factor that they need to be across. So I have a perception, and I've seen various numbers, that the Australian market is not as supporting of program, open programmatic as other markets such as the UK and the US. Is that a fair uh, assumption or is that a fair perception yeah. or have I been misled by <laughs> trade media headlines and things? God forbid. Um, I, I think it depends which, which part of the channel. So obviously video has been a huge growth area for the last couple of years um, and um, particularly the BVOD market. So there's a lot more control. So it's programmatic but it's not open exchange. Mm. So there's a lot more control there. We are a smaller market and we do tend to know everyone a bit more. Um, so I would say it's slightly smaller than other markets but it's still it's still really healthy and, uh, you know, I'm... I'm even though there are there can be problems with open exchange, I still like the idea of marketers being able to get to diverse audiences in diverse environments. Uh, it's just putting those those guardrails on because um, you do want to you know have have from a consumer point of view a rich rich sort of offering of different different properties. Australians are looking at media in other markets; they're not just looking at our, mm, our domestic markets. So I, I'd say there's probably a little bit less and. Um, as different channels grow, so digital out of home at the moment is, you know, very much programmatic's a tiny amount of digital out of home at the moment. Audio is still quite small, though it's growing. Um, so those new channels are slightly lower on that open exchange factor at the moment. Is one of the problems with educating the market um, the fact that it is incredibly technical. I mean, you mentioned the lab, the IAB yeah, lab, lab yeah. the tech lab, you know, and incredibly smart people. But what I find is when I'm talking to incredibly smart tech people, they quickly, the conversation will go down the technology rabbit warren of acronyms and things yeah. like that, that, you know, you just glaze over. It, it must be, uh, you know, I, I think one of the barriers is how can you take something that's incredibly technical, quite complicated or complex and break it down into ways that people can have bite-sized pieces without simplifying it so much that it becomes pointless. Yeah, it, it, it's a tricky balance and um, yeah, we're quite lucky. My, my tech lead actually does speak 
human language as well as tech language. So I think people like that who, you know, can communicate and, and do tech. With their weight in gold. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, it's hard, but it's also, you know, and um, you, if you're a marketer and you're investing heavily and you have a big digital budget, you do need a person who understands the technical side of things. There's no getting around that. Um, and then relying on them as your trusted trusted person as well as having a really good open relationship with an agency. Mm. Um, I don't think there's any way of getting around being a little bit deeper in the technical side of things. Well, it is a technical uh, ecosystem, you know. Yeah. But it, it's also been one of the issues that a lot of marketers have said to us that, you know, they have a media agency that they have daily conversations with. But when it gets to things like programmatic, it'll often be a separate business unit within the agency. And in some ways, I use the, the, the comparison to, you know, like creatives in the um, creative agency, they get wheeled out to for a special occasion but it's not an ongoing conversation i think i think and i hope that's changing um some of the teams are merging a little bit more and i think one of the things that's driving change as well is um identity and privacy because if you're a marketer and you've got your own crm you've got your own data you know in your salesforce or adobe or wherever you're dealing with agency um and you know going forward first party data has to be the the thing you keep keep across. So understanding from, um, you know, the client side of area that they're going to pump in programmatic data, they're going to have direct buyers as well. Those teams are going to have to work as one team. So I think that will change, and I think it is. I think it is changing. I don't think it's the, the quite as bad as it previously was. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I think that uh, marketers as well need to see that they've got a responsibility. You know, this is not just handing it off. And hoping for the best. Yeah. The part of part of their role is to actually understand and make informed decisions about their their media. Um, in trying to make it simpler, I guess it's mm. been interesting because there's there's been a few innovations, but one of them is the uh, uh, Think Premium Digital launched late last year with this idea of you know his premium content going to the marketplace. Do you think this helps or complicates? I think everyone tries to differentiate their, their own position in market and, and we do have some amazing domestic media companies that have incredibly rich rich offerings. So the job of Think TV and Think Premium Digital and Think News Brands, I think, yep. they're the, um, you know, that they've, they've got a job to do for, for their media. Um, I don't think it complicates. I think it asks, makes um, clients ask different questions around brand safety, around different different issues. Um, but as I said, as the market gets bigger and there's more and more offerings, you're going to see, I guess, more and more groups of people trying to differentiate their their type of inventory. I mean, you know, it drives me crazy because, as you know, I'm on the record of saying there's way too many industry bodies. Um, but uh, you know. yeah, but there's different types, right? They're they're a they're a marketing arm, and that's that's what their job is to do. You know, so we all have our, our different different place, Darren. Yeah. And as I've said to you before, you know, if if people don't want us, they won't support us, and we'll go away. So. Um, well, and, and we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen in the last five years at least, you know, a handful of industry bodies get absorbed or disappear. So, you know, you're right. Yeah. There, there's no need to, to drive the process. It happens <laughs> automatically. Absolutely. 
Let's look to the year ahead. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you had some uh, time off over the uh, Christmas New Year break and uh, time to regroup and re-energise. What are the things that you're really looking for, forward to with the IAB? Um, so, I mean, I think for, from a market point of view, having the market come back so strongly in that the last quarter of the calendar year, which, which was quite, quite incredible. I've actually never seen it quite so hot quite quickly. Um, and that's flowing through to the beginning of this year. So I'm really excited to see a, a healthy market. One of the things which I'm really interested to see, uh, particularly in December with so much inventory selling out and, and marketers actually having to try new types of inventory because there was none of their available normal, normal thing that they would buy. So how marketers actually review some of the experiments that they did um, and, and how they assess if they've worked and I guess how the market lands after that. So looking forward to revenue uh, flowing through and, and, and being healthy. Um, we're launching a e-sports e and, and gaming working group. Fantastic. Which is great. So it's one of those ones that sort of has had a run-up every few years that um, advertising in gaming is going to be the next big thing. Um, but it, it feels like with particularly like the Twitches of the world and, and big investments um, that the, the Times here and as well as the sporting codes getting more involved. So so, so that will that will be a fun one. And, again, it's where the, the boring people who come in and say, okay, this is a growing market, let's think how we're going to measure this, how we're going to put a certain amount of um, uh, guidelines in place that it does operate quite in effectively. Some, in some ways, Gay, though, you doing that makes it easier or, or more comfortable for marketers to invest in those areas. So so I get the sort of chicken and egg here in that you need to look at it once it starts to grow, but also the IAB setting guidelines and, and, and measurement criteria then also gives certainty for other advertisers to actually play in those spaces, doesn't it? I hope so. I hope so. It's interesting, though, at the beginning of any new market, Everyone wants to differentiate and be the first and the best. And, you know, we try and work with them, but that's still that, that colour comes through, but there's some easier way of buying buying things. Um, other things that are exciting, so we're just launching our third wave of our mentorship program, which I, I know you have one as well. So love love supporting the industry in that way. Um, I don't know if I'm excited, but I think it's uh, the taunt of a new a privacy review has been around for a few years, so I guess that, that, that that's moving um, that we can get involved and I guess as an industry make sure that we get the right balance somehow for consumers and industry at the same time, which, you know, I don't think there's necessarily been exactly the right model in other markets, but we've got a lot of markets we can look at and say we'll take a bit of here, a bit from there. Best practice. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to be first. Let everyone else make the mistakes yeah. and work out what works best. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we've got a, a new rating system. So Nielsen are completely upgrading their um, digital content ratings. So um, as you know, with measurement, everyone um, has an opinion of their own numbers. Um, so it's so a new methodology that's uh, uh, very privacy compliant. Um, and um, less reliant on cookies and other identifiers. So we're building one that will um, be ready for ready for all those signals to drop out. So so that that launches early in the year. Um, a million other things, Darren. But it's um, well, cookies. You know, mm. you, you've brought that up uh, a couple of times. Mm. You know, because it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think uh, Google first announced this almost two years ago. 
that uh, they were looking at getting rid of the cookie. The cookie would crumble. Yeah. Um, it's It has been a very sort of, not slow transition, but a sort of sporadic transition. Um, what What's the latest status on it from your perspective? Yeah, so we're, we've been working uh, very closely with TechLab in particular, who are looking at a whole lot of different industry um, solutions and proposals around replacements, um, so both consumer and, and privacy compliant replacements for the cookie, and they'll all work quite differently. Um, so they're under review at the moment. There'll be, there'll be further announcements, and we're working really closely, which is so lovely to see true collaboration in the industry with the marketers and the agencies over there because cookies go across mm. across everyone. Um, but, you know, a lot of work's been done by, you know, all the big global tech companies um, and will, I guess, kick the tyres on all of those over the next six months. So so last year for me was very much around take doing an assessment of the removal of cookies and, and as importantly, particularly in this market, changes that Apple are making in terms of, mm of identifiers and, and, and click measurement um, and working out what you're going to lose and this year's around um, the solutions and rebuilding and being ready for that 2022 um, turn off. So it's 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 going to be, I think sometimes people downplay, um, it is an exciting change, I'll say it nervously, um, but, it, but it is a big one. It's going to be a lot of work for everyone. I think there's little bits and pieces that people won't quite realise what cookies the implications, were holding together. Yeah. Um, but, but lots of really smart people looking at different solutions um, and the next step. So the tech people are working on those. The next side of things will be the business people, the privacy people, all of those testing that those solutions um, are not because we don't want a direct replacement for the cookies because if we think about the privacy situation that we've got into. And that's really what's driving it, isn't it? Absolutely. Is how do we protect people's privacy but how do we put individuals into having more control over the information that they make available. Yeah, as well as user experiences aren't mm. horrific. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that's come out of EU with, um, you know, the consent, constant consent flags, oh. it's not a great user experience and it's not what you want. So yeah. I personally gave up 10 years ago and just said, you know, take it all, you know, if you can uh, give me a better experience based on this, and uh, to this point, not necessarily a better experience, but I live in hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we'll see. But yeah, cookies and privacy, all of, all of that's going to be a huge focus for this year, and and making sure, you know, it's that balance. We're talking about marketers getting more involved, but you know, making sure that they've got confidence that the industry is building that will replace. You know, that they, they will still have access to that um, to those audiences in a you know in a new exciting way. So, uh, Gay, the other thing that was huge in 2020 was something that's been simmering along for a long time but really came to the fore and that's around uh, gender and uh, race or cultural inclusion and uh, and diversity and also the environment and uh, and good corporate social responsibility all of these things you know, things that often people talk about in relation to brand purpose but really go much further than that, you know, about really as societies, uh, how are we going to shape the future? What, or if any, impact has that had in your considerations and the work that you're planning to do with the IAB? Um, this has been on our particularly, it, it's, gender's been a huge one for the last, last few years. We, for, in a tech-driven industry, you can imagine gender's been 
a, a huge, a huge um, topic of discussion. Um, we, we found a really elegant solution for one of our committees that our exec tech councils one day were sitting around and there were suddenly 20 men around the table and that, okay, this is a problem. Um, so we instituted a, a way of working where everyone, whatever gender they were, brought someone of the opposite gender to every meeting. So it made, made huge meetings, but it, it changed the, the feel and the tone and the um, ability for younger females in particular um, to get access to more senior people and promotions. So that's something, that's actually our mentorship program came off the back of that's that. That's a brilliant solution. Um, it was it was lovely and it really did change the discussion. It brought some great new ideas in. It's, um, it's also a direct demonstration of why we should be as a society and as businesses and organisations proactively encouraging diversity because it does change the outputs. Mm. Absolutely. And the same thing, we put it in our charter on the board that we had to have a minimum of 40% of either gender. Um, and then from a, um, I guess, we need to broaden that out from a from a role point of view, we found it um, making sure that we have young um, engineers and people from different parts of the industry who wouldn't normally put their hands up, we're tapping them on the shoulder. So Every, every young sales gun is the first to put their hand up for everything mm-hmm. uh, and finding ways to, to work around that. Um, and we've been doing the same things in types of business diversity. So our board's broadened out from, um, you know, the traditional people who have been on our board. We now have a, a company, um, so at the moment it's Magnite representing the rest of our members, bringing in different voices, different points of view. Um, so, so we're working hard. I think, I think we can do it can do a lot more. I'm keen for our mentorship program to sort of stretch out. We've been doing a lot of discussion with sort of First Nations, uh, media organisations. Um, it's it's a, a never-ending area of, I guess, excitement because hearing different voices and different... Perspectives. Uh, yeah. I mean, mm. you know, I do joke and it's probably the wrong thing to say, but our industry is often full of a lot of um, chaps who went to the same university in a in a in a mother country, possibly, um, and often there's more of those in the room than than I, the mix know, of other people. The the shortcut is male, pale, and stale, but we'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, wanting to do more in that space. Uh, fascinating because you know in this conversation we've talked about the sort of diversity of or the complexity of the ecosystem the complexity of your membership, the diversity of the the various players. Uh, And then I've just layered on top of that for you all of the responsibility of (laughs) dealing with uh, gender, race uh, and and the environment. Because I think, you know, as now with the changes in the US and uh, and a global alignment to really tackling climate change, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in... um, with uh, you know technology yeah. because it is a huge contributor um, to uh, carbon pollution. Yeah, absolutely, well, absolutely. And our industry is is huge. We have a huge responsibility. We have to take on these these issues. And um, yeah, I, I I love that stuff. So I'm I'm all, I'm all all for it. Absolutely. Look, we've run out of time. I really appreciate uh, you making the time to uh, drop by and have this conversation, Gay. Thanks, Derek. Um, one question before you go, and that is, what do you think will be the final outcome uh, of all of these government interventions, or is it largely mute? Mm-hmm.